Hi, everyone. I have some big news that I want to share with you before we get to our podcast today. I wanted to let you know that Path 11 TV is actually launched. However, we are going to be throwing a party on November 11th at 11 a.m. with Suzanne Northrup. She's an evidential medium, and she's going to be talking with us about mediumship and after-death communication on November 11th at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And then after that, Suzanne has agreed to give people who sign up for a yearly membership a free gallery reading over Zoom. So the readings necessarily aren't guaranteed, depends on how many people sign up. Um, But once you sign up for your annual membership for $59, we are going to email you the Zoom link to enter into the gallery reading over Zoom with Suzanne on 11-11 at 12 p.m. So we are really, really excited about this. And we decided to discount the annual membership by 40% off the regular price until our launch on November 11th. Once November 12th hits, The price is going back up, so I would really love for you to take advantage of your annual membership for $59. With that, you are going to get free access to a gallery reading with Suzanne Northrup, and you can check out her website if you haven't heard of her yet, SuzanneNorthrup.com. And uh, if, if you sign up before November 11th, you will be able to enter into that Zoom room with her, and hopefully you will get your own reading. So head on over to Path11TV.com. You can register for that annual membership now for $59 and start watching all the content that we have. There's some wonderful stuff on there. I know you're going to enjoy it if you love listening to our podcast. Oh, and by the way, If you've just been listening to the podcast, we have the video um, podcast for Path 11 over on Path 11 TV. So you can't see them anymore on YouTube, but you can watch them for free at path11tv.com. All right, guys, let's get to our show. Hi, and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 Podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading-edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on Earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Path 11 podcast today. Today, you're going to hear a story, um, probably one that may seem a little sad at first, but inspirational towards the end. I have a guest today, Terry Siegel, who is also a licensed marriage and family therapist who specializes in art therapy. However, she lost her brother to suicide. Her brother's name is Duffy, and she has begun to communicate with him since he has passed. Actually, it was quite immediate after he passed, and wrote a book called Never Parted. Um, given the fact that suicides are on the rise, uh, they were on the rise before the pandemic hit, and now we're kind of seeing quite a bit of a crisis of um numbers that we have never seen in suicide rates. I thought that this was an important podcast to begin to talk about. We will also put um, information for support, the suicide hotline in our show notes today. But without further ado, I would like to welcome Terry Siegel to the Path Living Podcast today. Hi, Terry. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. 
Yes. Good morning. So, yeah, so we both have a background in therapy, um, but (laughs) you sound to be uh, also an artist and you've delved a lot in the creative arts and have studied art for quite a while. So maybe before we get into kind of your story with your brother and what kind of transpired that led up possibly to his suicide of what you know, um, tell us a little bit about your background and the work that you're doing right now. Okay, absolutely. Well, I feel like I've been an artist my whole life. And that's really, if you ask me to define myself, that's the first word I would say. And I've done painting and jewelry making and uh, all kinds of stuff. And I still continue. Now I kind of like photography. And I continue to experiment. And you know, I went through, like a lot of people, this whole process of not really knowing who I was or what I wanted to do and uh, came out to California from the East Coast right after college and, you know, had a great California experience and I still do. But I think I finally found myself in my early 30s. And uh, after trekking in Nepal, it came to me that I should combine my love of people with my art. And so I went for a master's in art therapy. And I'm a marriage and family therapist and an art therapist, and I've been doing that for 20 years, and it's been just a beautiful career. I'm very blessed. Yes. So I know that your brother was one of your best friends. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your relationship with your brother and I guess take us through his journey while he was alive. And then let's definitely get into the book that you have written, Never Parted, that really begins to describe the communication that you've had with him in the afterlife. Okay. Well, uh, Jeff, his actual name is Jeff, and Mm -hmm. he was a year and a half younger than me. And I was totally fascinated him by him by day one. You know, I'd sneak into his crib when we were little and just like try and touch his toes. And I was just like crazy about him. And we were really just very close. And as we got older and became adults, um, our mentally, we were very much on the same page. And so my whole life, like people have almost commented that he was almost like my twin. We just really were that close and emotionally, spiritually in every way. And I should say that I have another brother, Chris, who's seven years younger. And I just want to honor him by saying he's also this fabulous person that we really connect. So I've been blessed. So Jeff, I couldn't, um, the the nickname Duffy came about because I couldn't say Jeff when I was a little girl and I actually Um, wrote Duffy on the wall in the crayon or something, (laughs) much to my mom's chagrin. And um, Duffy stuck. (laughs) Yeah. And he and he was such a Duffy. And he was a Duffy because he was just so soft and caring. He really cared about people. And he really, you know, he got bullied a lot when he was a kid, because he was a little bit chunky. And he um, didn't quite know how to stand up for himself when he was younger. Um, We grew up in New Jersey and, you know, part of the neighborhood was a little rough. And so um, he had some speech challenges. He had some walking challenges. Um, But he turned into this absolutely, he became a triathlete and he became a lawyer who defended uh, people who 
had gotten hurt and their insurance companies didn't want to pay. And he ended up defending them. And so, and he was just really, I think one of his uh, principals did tell my mom that he was on the genius scale. So he was really brilliant and he was athletic and he overcame a lot. Um, but he had a couple of things that I think uh, I still ask the question why souls choose um, to have mental illness and addiction. And I think his mental illness and his addiction coupled with um, a painful divorce, it, it, in the end, it proved too much for him. Hmm. Yeah. And um, so, and what was his addiction? Was he addicted to um, alcohol or drugs or what was that? Um, I think the main substance over time was probably cocaine, mm -hmm. um, which ironically enough, my dad struggled with as well. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, addiction is very much a, a thread or a theme in my family. Um, yeah. yeah. And being a therapist, um, what were some of the mental health challenges that you noticed that he had? Well, um, it, it was hard, I think, for everyone in his life to sort it out. And in a way, um, it's not exactly 100% clear, but I'm pretty sure he had bipolar disorder in the end. Mm -hmm. And that's something that he never would have wanted to fully accept. I think it was really, really hard for him to accept that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, you know, this story sounds so familiar with a lot of people that I have talked to um, who have lost somebody to suicide where, you know, somebody has overcome challenges, they have been very successful in life, they're contributing to the community in some ways, and many times family or friends wouldn't even necessarily see it coming. But certain life stressors like losing a job or a divorce or houses going into foreclosure, bankruptcy, um, another death of of a, of a loved one, like you said, when it's coupled with some mental health struggles and addiction, sometimes a life event like a divorce can really put people um, over the edge and really make it hard for them to see how their life can actually um, be better, how they can get through it. Um, would you say that that might have been true with your brother? Um. Absolutely. I, I, um, there were a number of things going on at the end with his business, um, decisions he had made that weren't great, um, that were catching up with him. Uh, I did ask him once he had passed through automatic writing, which is this technique I use. Um, I asked him about this and I think one thing that came across that I sent felt really true for his personality. And he actually had, had kind of said it to me previously was that in a way, and, and I say this um, for folks who are struggling in a way early on, he didn't seek help in a way that he now thinks he could have, he didn't really pursue it and he didn't open himself up to it. Mm -hmm. And so he, his words are, I kept kicking the can down the road. And I kicked it down the road so far that finally, you know, he lost all ability really to survive. He was exhausted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how old was he? How long ago was this? 
So this was, um, it just was six years ago, July 24th, and he had just turned 50. Hmm. Just turned 50, so he was young. Yeah. yeah. And can you talk about um, the overall impact that this had on the family? Because if for any reason there is somebody listening, contemplating suicide, um, I think sometimes maybe people will feel as if other people in my family would be better off, the world would be better off without me. And, um, you know, maybe they're able to see in spirit after they leave the physical body, the impact of what this has created. But um, I would like you to talk a little bit about how your family members and how people were affected by it. So, you know, if there is anyone listening, uh, it might make them think twice a little bit about how these actions can really alter and change other people's lives. Well, our family, um, we're not too dissimilar in how we've dealt with it. Um, my brother and my mom and I, my dad passed many years ago, so um, he's in spirit. But my mom and my brother and I, um, you know, my, my youngest brother, Chris, uh, lived down in San Diego near him. So he's had to... Um, He's, he goes around similar places where they used to hang out. And, and so sort of the air of my brother, um, you know, just being near him more has really Im impacted him in not having him near um, like he was. And my brother um, became a dad five years ago. And so I know he feels that loss of not having Jeff um, be an uncle. Uh, just, um, you know, so that sharing of that relationship with his son, um, they used to go on adventures together. You know, they did a lot of physical stuff together that I know he misses. Um, lots of laughter in our family, you know, lots of joking around and um, they drum together, play drums. So he misses him like on a very physical near level. Um, my mom, she lives on the East Coast and had a more distant relationship. And so my mom has coped with it by being in nature. Um, my brother loved trees. So she goes out and sits under the trees and says hi. And she's talked with other um, women her age who have lost children to suicide, actually, for support. Um, so um, me... <laughs> I think I've always been the family member um, who just delves into these kind of un unusual um, paths in life. And, and it wasn't like I actually purposefully delved into it. Like you said, I immediately started feeling like I was getting these connections. And I've just tried to um, walk this middle ground of being, um, I really believe that my brother wants me to be really healthy and make good choices in the moment um, and get that learning lesson from him. Um, that there, it, it, to understand the amount of freedom we have in the moment in our minds. And if we are really hampered by mental health, because sadness and depression is very real and you can feel really unable to make decisions, it, that's a real thing. But to really reach out for help um, and, and try and be willing to try different things that you might not be willing to try in service of yourself. Mm -hmm. um, it's really important. 
Now, even though your brother was in a later stage of life, you know, 50 years old, um, did you notice, you know, because I've talked to a lot of parents that have lost a child, and I don't think it matters what age the child is, but have you noticed as a sibling and watching your mother go through the grief of losing him, losing one of her sons um, and her firstborn, right? He was, he was the oldest? No, I'm the oldest. Oh, you're the oldest and he yeah. was a year and a half after. Okay. Um, so uh, did you notice that your mom changed and wasn't quite quite the same after he passed? Um, I have. I don't spend a lot of time around my mom. Um, because she's on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it added a, a layer of sadness or it, it's, um, I really do feel like this forces us to grapple with very deep and personal questions about life when someone takes their life. And I'm not really sure my mom she doesn't like to go there <laughs> in her head, you know. Um, I do. That's where I go. That's why I'm a therapist. But she, I, I think um, she's she's gardened more or s- gone swimming more or really she sort of externalizes and does more, gotcha. literally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, that's a good point that you bring up, too, because um, – just even sharing the difference in the way that you process it and your mom is processing it. That's also very common, you know, with grief that not everyone in the family will process a death in the same way. And some people may delve into the major questions of life and other people may just kind of just continue on, but be very numb to it. And like you said, don't want to go there um, because it can just be too painful for some. Yeah. Grief is, is, is one of the most personal things we we experience and luckily in our family we have honored each other's way of grieving which mm-hmm. is a nice thing about our family yeah so yeah. let's begin to talk about how you started receiving messages um from john and what was that like and let's get into the book that you wrote about it okay um so I was worried about Duffy for months before he actually passed. And I actually was considering moving to, to San Diego for a little while just to be with him. Um, on the night he passed, I had returned from a plane trip and I had gotten into bed really late and I was tired. And um, I got into bed and I just felt this like shove against my back. And... Um, I was, I didn't immediately connect it to him. Uh, I wasn't, even though I was really worried about him, I wasn't in looking back, allowing myself to think that he actually might take his life. Um, so I didn't connect it to him. Uh, I just thought, well, that's strange, but I've had strange things happen to me. And so I just went to bed. Um, and then the next morning, I put on all this jewelry that my my grandmothers who have passed gave me. And and looking back, it seemed very ritualistic, like my subconscious knew. And I put all this jewelry on and I went to work and I started getting texts from my little brother and his and Jeff's secretaries that he didn't show up at work that morning. And so it just kind of unfolded from there. Um, And... 
I believe that day from then on, um, all kinds of synchronicities have been a, a main thread that keeps happening um, it, through just all kinds of images, license plates, billboards, people, cars. <laughs> um, I can, and I'll give you an example of one of the most um, telling ones that, um, so for me as a therapist, I was, from the beginning of this, I was sort of diagnosing myself and trying not to do that at the same time. <laughs> um, so I passed all the check marks and I was not having psychosis, but something else was clearly going on. Um, and I love my brother so much. I just kept asking for more that I was open. So one of the synchronicities that was really beautiful was um, I had this little wooden canoe about six inches long. I'd gotten in Hawaii when I was young and I had it in my house. And when I went to, we went to clean out Jeff's um, apartment. Um, I went into one of his drawers and pulled out. It, it's an identical wooden canoe, same length, same shape, same everything. Wow. And so I, you know, I kind of tucked it into my purse, <laughs> like that's mine. <laughs> no one else is getting that. But the interesting thing is I came home and I put them side by side and I got into bed and I'm a paint, I've been a painter and I had painted this picture at least five years before he passed. And I had pulled it out a few days before he passed. I pulled out of the closet. I don't even know why, but I got in bed and I looked at this picture and I realized that I had painted this picture of two canoes on a beach with nothing else around. Wow. And they're the same shape and everything. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. And needless to say, there were many times after that when I was thinking about him or maybe sad, um, a car would drive by with like these two, you know, canoes hooked to the top or <laughs> two kayaks. And so two canoes or two kayaks is kind of an enduring synchronicity to this day that will show up. Mm -hmm. And I bet that synchronicity is always bringing you comfort. Yeah, it makes me so happy. Yeah. So happy. Yeah. And so let's talk a little bit about the automatic writing and mm -hmm. how you began to, I don't know if channels the right word to use, channel messages from him or uh, receive this guidance. So how did that start and begin? And what are some of the, you know, questions and conversations that you've had with him and what has he answered in the afterlife? Uh, yeah, so I knew about automatic writing because of because of my therapy, mm -hmm. and I've done it with clients. Mm -hmm. And and there's a lot of versions, but my version of automatic writing is I will meditate. I've been a meditator for a long time. I'll meditate, get quiet, get pen and paper, and I will um, ask my um, loved one to be with me in spirit. Ask that we are protected. And I will ask a question. Sometimes I write the question down. Sometimes I don't. And then I, um, it's kind of just whatever. I just start writing so that it comes to my mind. It goes into my hand pretty much at the same time, I would say. Mm -hmm. And I don't edit what I get, which I think is really important. Mm -hmm. As strange as it sounds, I don't edit it. And I just keep going until it feels like it's done messages done. Um, so, so that's my process. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and how did you begin that process with your brother? 
Um, I, I'm not sure the first time why I did it or how I did it, but quite honestly, I had a meeting with the very world famous Ralph Metzner at one point. Mm -hmm. Um, and I (laughs) was working on the book and I went to meet him and, uh, for a therapy session and, um, he was encouraging me in every way possible, including automatic writing to keep going and keep pursuing these questions with my brother. And so I remember um, whenever I started after he passed, I got a big push from that meeting. Um, uh, Questions about what's it like to die? What did it feel like? What's he doing now? Um, One really crazy thing that I did, I'm not even sure why I did it, except that we always used to talk about physics and science that we always used to question what, what is the universe about? That was a topic Jeff and I always had. Um, I literally went to the Wikipedia um, uh, list of unanswered questions in physics. There's like 96 of them. And I pretty much asked him every one. Oh, <laughs> that's a good use. A good use of automatic writing. Talking to yeah. So I got some physics answers. Um and I continue to do it just, you know, coronavirus, like I just, like I'm conversing with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm sure our listeners are saying, okay, well, tell us more. What did he say? <laughs> uh, right. you know, what what right. are some of the things that you found that were shocking to hear from him in spirit that maybe you put in the book and maybe you can well, share some stuff more recently too? One thing I think, um, you know, uh, I, I know people, Um, the reason that I wrote this book is because a lot of people have these experiences and a lot of people feel like they can't talk about it. And I just want to free people up. I think that's silly. And I also know that a lot of people are scared about death. You know, we don't handle death well in this country. Mm -hmm. And especially now, right. Um, there's a lot of scary things going on. And so people are scared. Um, uh, I don't have all the answers. I just have my own little belief system that changes daily. And I know that I could be wrong. Um, uh, One question I asked him, what what was it actually like to pass over? Uh, And the answer I got was that it was almost like taking a really warm shower. Hmm. Um, That it was very, um, there was sound and it was kind of a soothing rhythmic sound. And it was like a floating or a gentleness to it. Um, uh, I asked him about what he thought was important about being on earth. And he said it was really important to learn to increase our capacity for love and cooperation. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, coming from him, he had a pretty competitive spirit. Um, but that, uh the biggest threat to us actually was climate change. That's what he said four years ago. Interesting. Yeah. Um, He said something really nice that I read this morning. And he said, it's important to develop, to develop our wise self versus our smart self. And what I think he was saying, um, or what he said was, you know, your wise self Um, brings the spiritual aspect of your life to the front. And that's how you live your life. And so you develop your capacity for um, making your actions here based on love, connection to 
a higher purpose, values, um, that your grounding is really actually um, in the divine and not in, pra- in, ma- in practical manners or material things. Hmm. Interesting. Did you ask him, you know, with the fact that he took his life and so many, um, you know, clients that I have spoken to who had lost, um, you know, loved ones to suicide, people who are living tend to have a fear that they're trapped. Um, Did they make a transition because they chose this as their own free will? They didn't die of, you know, a natural cause or an accident, but they you know, made the choice, um, you know, to commit suicide. And I feel like family members feel scared that maybe they haven't made it to the light um, or that they didn't make a tra- the transition yet or that they are a lost soul that is in some sort of bardo or, you know, holding pattern that's happening. Did you ask him anything about that? I have, and I've asked him questions all around the context of that. And I first want to say for listeners that, you know, this is just my experience. And so please take whatever of it that feels right to you and leave the rest. Um, But in my experience uh, with him, the message was that you you pretty much cross over the same person you left. (laughs) So if you think about getting up and, and going out the door behind you, and that door was death, and you go on the other side, that's who's there. And you still have all your challenges. And you're still going to have to figure them out. Um, and time, time in eternity is different, but you're still going to have to go through the process of growing and becoming a wiser soul, as I would say, I would say that. Um, and so, in a sense, it is a choice. Um, to take that out here. And it also, for those who are kind of able to see it this way, um, there's an agreement in a sense. It's not just that the person who's committed suicide has a path they have to deal with. But as you say, all of us here in the wake of that, there's learning for us in that suicide. And we are meant to learn something from that. Mm -hmm. That is part of our growth. It doesn't happen in a vacuum for that soul. And so what is it we can learn and need to learn about how we treat each other now, how we treat ourselves, how we treat the planet? There's something for us to learn about that person's passing. Hmm. And no, he didn't get he didn't get stuck anywhere any more than he was stuck here. And one thing that I really started to do, which wasn't necessarily natural to me is I really started praying for him. Um, And I have gotten the feedback that that's been enormous, enormously helpful for him. Hmm. Um, And I have become fascinated with prayer and the power of prayer. So yeah, beautiful. And um, do you remember some of the physics questions that you asked him and what how he answered them? Is there one in particular (laughs) that you'd like to share? Oh, um, you know, he, I'm not sure I included, I'm looking in the book. Uh, okay. Is information a fundamental factor in nature? <laughs> so this is a physics question I asked. Is information a fundamental factor in nature? Yes, information is carried throughout the universe by waves of harmonized energy. 
Information does not guarantee an outcome, though it just is. It exists in various forms for the viewer, depending on the viewer's perspective. Um, and so one of the things that happens in my book is um, a gentleman who wrote a forward for the book, he went in and he commented on those answers as well, based on his physics experience um, and how it resonated or not with what the field is saying. Oh, interesting. And who is that person that wrote the forward? Uh, so it's A.B. Scott Hill. Okay. And he has written his own book. <laughs> I'm <laughs> looking for it. Um, yeah, so um, he continues to have his challenges and his, his areas where he wants to grow is the message I'm getting. Mm -hmm. um, you don't cross over and suddenly become perfect and pure and, you know, everything is growing. Eternity is growing. So another question I have is how can you be sure that you're communicating with him and not just a uh, higher consciousness? Great so. question. Um, I, I can't be sure. <laughs> I know I can't be sure. Uh, if there was a way to be sure, that, that would be amazing. Um, I think where he's at now, he's, he's, he's in a realm where he's aware of a higher consciousness in a different way than we can be while we're on earth. And that's for a reason. And from questions I've asked him, he's he's basically said to me, I'm going to kind of call in some friends mm -hmm. <laughs> to help answer this. And so um, his ability to call in a group and help um, from that perspective and his access um, is interesting and makes me think that I am speaking with him. Mm -hmm. I have done some EVP work um, with a friend. And uh, initially, we got some communications that were very specific to what I had said. And so um, <laughs> that was, that would be hard to fake, I guess. Right. Yeah. And, and EVP, just for our listeners, if you're not uh, familiar with that term, it's electric voice phenomenon. Electronic voice phenomenon. Ele electronic yeah. voice and that's yeah. where you're actually setting up a recorder asking questions being silent after you ask to see if you're able to pick up anything and an answer absolutely and, and one of the first ones we did I um, was a little nervous and I jokingly said I used to call him different variations of Duffy so I'd say fluffy fluff and stuff so I said hey fluffy you know come be with us and I just sort of set it out into the air. We were in a hotel room. Um, and the little snippet we got was, uh, it wasn't his voice, but a male voice said, thank you for calling Fluffy. <laughs> and so I was, you know, I was like, mm, okay. Mm -hmm. That's pretty shocking. Wow. Interesting. Uh, but to bring back, you know, the I don't know that our souls, uh, the kernel of our souls we are connected to the divine. We are divine, even as we're here in earth form. And so whether I'm talking to him or a, another divine presence, I'm not quite sure that there's a difference in the way that we think there's a difference. 
Right. That makes any sense. Well, yeah, it makes sense from the concept if we are one mind or all one and we are part of that consciousness that it would flow, it flows through each and every one of us, whether we're in a physical body or out of a physical body. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, what were some of the questions that you had that you've more recently asked about the coronavirus? And can you share some of that insight with us? Well, at first, um, I asked literally just about numbers. Um, you know, I think I just, uh, like everyone else at first, I was just like, uh, kind of over like what, oh my goodness, this is a huge change. And so what is this thing? Um, and I asked how many people would pass in this country from this. Uh, and the answer I got was between 250,000 and 500,000 was the answer I got. Mm -hmm. And that was way back. That was back in March or early April that I asked. Um, and for me, I don't know why I asked numbers. I, I don't know. <laughs> mm -hmm. Trying to get my head around it. Um, he definitely. Well, no, I'm sorry. sorry. I don't mean to interrupt you, but I'm just thinking numbers in some way is also kind of like collecting data and information. And I think also it gives you something that you can check the validity, you know, like, okay, I'm getting this information and this is what's being predicted or this is what I'm hearing. And then there will be numbers that are reported. Yeah, and that's a good point. And thank you for saying that, because there's still a part of me that's always checking the validity of what's happening. Sure. And, um, you know, even now, six years later, there's a little part of me that's testing this out. <laughs> mm -hmm. Is it really him? You know, am I really connecting with someone on the other side? Right. Yeah. And uh, did you ask any questions about like the purpose of this or how will we move through it? Or what, what does this look like when we get to the other side? Um, I did. And it, it's kind of a multi-layer answer. You know, the big answer is there's definitely a purpose. We need to wake up in a lot of ways because the direction we were going was not sustainable. Mm -hmm. um, and there was just... Um, there, there needs to be a waking up, uh, in a sense. I mean, that's an overused word, but um, uh, everything has purpose. This has purpose. And that's part of, I think, the health of people is that, do you see this as malevol malevolent or not? Uh, and even though it looks scary and is, is terrible in a sense, um, there's a purpose to it, a spiritual purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. And now uh, with your book, who would you say you wrote the book for? Um, is this a book for family members who are grieving the loss of someone? Um, is it for people who are curious about the afterlife? Um, you know, who do you think your book would benefit the most if they were to pick it up off the shelf? Mm, good questions. Uh, I think all of the above. Uh, it's a personal story. I talk very personally about some of the things I did, what I've gone through, what I've experienced. I think for someone who already believes in this, it's they're gonna um, it's gonna be confirming of mm -hmm. what they experience. I think um, for somebody who's lost somebody to suicide, it's gonna give them some hope, hopefully. Mm -hmm. uh, for someone, I really wrote this book for someone who maybe is having signs but they're afraid to believe it. And 
they're on that kind of cusp. Um, and, and, you know, the woman in Kansas who tells me I lost my daughter and I feel her arms on my shoulders, but I can't tell anyone about that. You know, that's the person I wrote this for. So, so, you know, you know what <laughs> other people have experienced this. You're not crazy. Yeah. yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on the Path Love and Podcast. Can you share with our listeners um, where they can find your information on your website and where they can purchase your book? Sure. My website is uh, terrysegal.com, T-E-R-R-I-S-E-G-A-L. And there's a lot of good uh, information there for folks. And, um, of course, right now it's on Amazon <laughs> and Barnes and Noble. <laughs> I feel like I have to say that caveat. Mm -hmm. It's on Amazon and it's on Barnes and Noble, I believe as well. So, okay. Well, wonderful. Terry, thank you so much for sharing this, uh, up close and personal story. And, um, you know, I really, really enjoyed hearing about Duffy and hearing about, the fact that there still is the ability to have communication with our loved ones after they have departed this earth or the physical body. So, so thank you so much again for being a guest. Thank you so much. So grateful for the opportunity. Thanks again for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that show. And don't forget to head on over to path11tv.com. Grab your annual membership for $59. Remember, that is 40% off the regular price. Once November 12th hits, the price is going to go back up to the regular price. So I really want you to take advantage of our launch deal of $59. You get over 75 hours of content that we have on there. And if you register now until November 11th, we are going to email you a private link to the Zoom gallery reading with Suzanne Northrup. And if you would like to watch Suzanne and see what she has to say before the gallery reading, you can tune in to Facebook Live, YouTube Live, or watch it on path11productions.com. She's going to be speaking for about 30 to 45 minutes on November 11th at 11 a.m. We're going to take a short break, and then you are going to head on over to your Zoom room and sit there in the gallery, and hopefully Suzanne will choose you and give you a private reading to connect with your deceased loved ones. So head on over to path11tv.com. Take advantage of the annual membership. Remember the monthly membership does not give you the zoom link. You have to purchase the annual membership in order to get into the gallery reading zoom room. All right, guys, take care.